five, five, four, four, three, three, two, two, two. I'm not looking back, but I want to look around me now. Time stands still. See more of the people and the places that surround me now. Time stands still. Freeze this moment a little bit longer. Make each sensation a little bit stronger. Words from one of my favorite artists, the late Neil Peart, drummer and lyricist for the band Rush. And that is from the song Time Stands Still. I'm hurting today. <laughs> I uh, There's a huge hole in my heart. And the ability to make it through this podcast, I, I'm really hoping I can get this in one take and not have to not have to pause or come back and do it because I really don't want to do it again. Talking about grief today, and the reason why this is on my heart is yesterday we had to say goodbye to a longtime friend. Some of you are going to get this, and and some won't. My daughter's dog, Ranger, has been not only a, an incredible asset, but a friend and a comforter, a sense of joy, a sense of laughter. And, you know, as, as dogs get old, I mean, you know, they start developing problems. And, I mean, they're, they're on this world, you know, they're given to us for a very minute span of time in which they bring joy and they bring love and they teach us so many lessons and it just got to a point where where he was hurting you know we saw the decline in health and in just you know in so many ways with his you know with his his hips and his gastrol system and I mean his teeth <laughs> just and it, it was it wasn't ever a, a matter of not wanting to spend the money. I had, in the in the past eight ten months, I've spent about four or five grand on that dog, right? And recently, just about twenty five hundred dollars. I don't care; it's money. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll make you know. I'll figure out a way to make more money. But we have to take care of the dog. And he was for Abby. He was so good for her at a time that was awkward, and she was having to, you know problems with social interactions and friends and. I mean, she would come home and that dog was there for her. And there's so much that, that we can learn from dogs. Now, I recognize that this isn't totally about diving today. Although, I got to tell you, man, that dog loved going out to dive sites with us. He loved being in the water. And he was just that, that source of joy, whether we were camping or diving or, or whatever it was. What I want to talk about today is the tier model and the task of grief. That's going to be that's going to be the topic today. And whether it's a dog, whether it is a person, maybe it's a change in relationships. You know, it's not limited to death and dying. It also encompasses the way things change. 
I mean, you you could find you know suddenly find yourself as a single mom or a single dad going through a divorce, having care and custody of your children. You could find yourself as a widower. You could find yourself on the other end of that spectrum where you are a parent, but you don't have full custody. It could be a breakup. It could be a job loss, but we all have to go through through that grief and that loss. And I'm going to talk a lot about it from from the, the perspective of, of losing Ranger yesterday. I think we did so many things right. And, and, I, th- and I think too often... We do have to realize that time does not stand still. Abby texted me this morning after a very difficult day yesterday, a very difficult night, and obviously something's very difficult for her today. We're all back at work today, right? So, I, but, but I got to tell you, there are some people that stepped forward and made huge differences. Her boyfriend, Johnny, and his best friend and also a friend of Abby, TJ, they showed up last night. Johnny was with her leading up to the decision, hours and hours leading up to the decision that it was time to help Ranger move to the next stage and begin a new journey for him. And those two kids stayed up all night off and on monitoring Ranger. I'd stayed up the three previous nights monitoring Ranger and just realizing it was not going to get any better. At about, uh, probably about midnight or, or 1 a.m., Brooks and I had a very serious conversation about what Ranger's, and this is the night before, about what Ranger's disposition was. He'd been to the vet earlier that day. No signs and symptoms. There's no mention of, hey, you know, this dog's kind of at, at the end of his life. No mention of that. Tested for Giardia for a dog that doesn't go out to... I mean, stays in the backyard or the house, which I never understood. But hey, that's that's neither here or there. But Brooks, Brooks had made mention about doing a in-home. You know, ha- having someone come to the home to assist Ranger. You know, do a euthanasia and move Ranger to, to the next part. You know, to the next chapter of, of his existence, right? And certainly propel us into the next our next chapter of living without him. Now, I know that there are people who out there who are not dog people. And there are people who are like, hey, it's just a dog. You need to move on. There are people who say that dogs are just tools. Okay, you guys don't get it. And I'm okay with that. Okay, I'm, I'm a dog person. My daughter's a dog person. We, we get it. We grieve over our pets. But the things I'm going to talk about in this not only fit in this situation, but you can, you can take out dog and you can put in marriage. You can put in person. You can put in someone out of a relationship. You can put in a job. Whatever it is that you want to put in. I want to do this from the dog sense. My podcast, I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. But I think it does apply for any kind of situation that you're in. So this is kind of how it went down. About 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, her and I have a very deep conversation about what we need to do with, with Ranger. And make the decision that we should seek out somebody that can do that in the home. And there was probably about six or eight people that could, you know, that we looked at. Uh, we actually chose somebody who ran a private practice that works on just that. We read her background and 
what I made the decision on and where I looped Abby in later was we didn't want Ranger to have any more bad days. And it was a horrible night. I mean, he had to be picked up so we could take him outside and just to get a drink of water or, or use the restroom. And that's not the dog... You know, I mean, that, they're labs, right? I mean, their their body breaks down before their spirit does. And we wanted to have the opportunity to at least get some time, say goodbye. So around 7 a.m., I finally talked with, with someone who could provide those services on the same day. They wanted to come out at 11. I wanted some kind of control with it, so I pushed it back to 11.30. And here's what we did. We spent that entire morning focused on loving that dog and celebrating his life and talking about stories. We fixed for the dog, and we just happened to get part of that as well. But for Ranger, we fixed bacon, eggs, and hash browns. Stuff he would never have gotten before. Maybe little little bits. But we made a big, big breakfast out of it and just let him enjoy that. We laid with him in the floor and we, and we pet him. And the line frees this moment a little bit longer, make each sensation a little bit stronger. I mean, that resonated with me. And during that time frame, I did want to just freeze that moment in time. And that's part of the grieving, you know, that, that, that's, that's part of that process of grieving. The only thing Abby texted me today was that she didn't, you know, she was having a hard time dealing with the emotions of it. And that she felt that it went by too fast. And it does. What I told her, though, is that the emotions that she's having right now are very special. Because Ranger was very special. And if you look at how we deal with grief, the loss of a marriage, the loss, the death of a spouse or a parent or a child, those emotions that you go through are very real. You know, Ranger started out as a rescue dog. His name was, was Rocco originally. We got him. We were told he was two years old. There's no way. He was more like about six months old. And he had been abused. When he first came into our life, I couldn't wear a hat or glasses because he would he would bark and back up and everything else. Once I took the hat and glasses off, he was a really lovable dog. So he had been abused. He we had to deal with seizures with him. We had to deal with you know being a being a lab puppy, you know running into stuff and spraining ankles and and getting cuts and bruises and things like that, you know, just running around having fun, going out to the woods and having fun. He, he had a great life. He really did. And he probably, he probably lived longer in our household than what he would have in a lot of other households, just because we took him on as, you know, the days when he, when he got to where he couldn't really perform and run. And, and I mean, the dog had gastro issues. He would paint, you know, peel paint off walls. I mean, we could be outside, and that dog would let one go, and we just all moved away. You know, that dog meant a lot to Abby. He was a friend, helped her through some social awkward situations. 
But I really feel like that the process that we did yesterday made a huge difference, not only for the dog, but also for us. I made the comment one time that I believe that dogs go to heaven. And I had somebody immediately want to battle me on a, on a, on a doctoral front, right? Nothing in scripture says about household pets being with, you know, being with you when you go to heaven. Hey, you know what? I don't care. I, I, I honestly don't care about your opinion. I was taught by, do, by uh, Dr. Gibbs when I attended, uh, I, you know, when, when, when I went to college, I had to take a, a course on Old Testament surveying. And the very first night of class, he walked in, he wrote three words up on the board. Text, church, self. He went over to church and he said, you know, if, if you're Catholic, this is what you believe. If you're Baptist, this is what you believe. If you're Buddhist, this is what you believe. Because, you know, that, that's, what, that's what your community says that you need to believe in. Then he goes back over to text and says, okay, this is what your doctrine says. I mean, if you're, if you're Jewish, this is what, you know, this is what the Torah says. If you're Christian, this is what the Bible says. You know, and, and, he, and he went through just different religions of, of, or religious text. You know, if you're, if you're Muslim, this is what, you know, this is what the Quran says. And in self, it's like, okay, this is what you believe from, from these other influences of your community and, the, and your, your text. From that, you develop your self-beliefs. I believe dogs go to heaven. And that's what gets me through. I honestly believe that when I go there, I'm going to see my dogs. And if you don't, hey, that's cool. That's fine. That's, that's your belief. But at least let me cling to, what my, to what, my, what my belief is. And that's part of the model that we go through. So as you go through the tier model, as you go through the tier model, there's four steps. The first one is to accept the reality of the loss. The second, experience the pain of the loss. Third, adjust to the new environment without the lost person. And four, reinvest in the new reality. So the work that was put out by this was a guy by the name of Wardman. I think he put it out somewhere in the, in the early 90s. I'm trying to go back through my, my notes that I was taking. And, you know, everybody talks about the five stages of death, right? You know, going through, you know, going, going, through, going through the five stages, you know, that, that Kubler-Ross had, had put together. And that was really the first work on, on grief theory that was put, put out. But uh, Worden, William Worden, was the one who really took it and broke it down into, in, in his book on grief counseling, broke it down into four tasks. That we call that we call a tier model, and you really have to go through all four of those tasks to really accomplish mourning. So again, you know, accept you know, uh, to, you know, to accept the reality of that task. When you look at task one, it's understanding, you know, that that it's there, and it's it's both simple and complex. You know, it sounds really simple, but but there are some complex methods in there, or complex components of that. And it's how we accept the reality of that loss. 
And we have to go through rituals in order to do that. Something we have done with every single dog that has passed is that we've had a fire pit in our backyard. And we sit around that fire pit. And, and by the way, the first two we lost, it was weird how it just happened. It wasn't like we planned it. On this one, obviously, when we lost Ranger, uh, as we were waiting for the vet to arrive, I had, I had built up and started prepping the, the, the fire pit area. There's different rituals that you go through as you're experiencing that loss. I, I, I went and ordered a paw print in clay as well as a ink stamped paw print. Now I could have gone down and I could have I could have found it, uh, an ink pad and got his paw print, but I went ahead and paid for that service because it's one less thing I had to worry about. They were going to put it on a nice card. They're going to do the paw print. We are having them cremated. They're going to bring that back. That's part of our rituals. I've got I've got two more two of my other pups that have been cremated and the ashes were returned. And I've got people saying, "Man, that that's that's kind of expensive to do or you know, why would you do that or it's just a dog." It's what helps us understand and accept that reality. So last time by the fire pit Brooks was there, TJ was there, Johnny was there. My my daughter's boyfriend Johnny one of her friends from middle school was there and we had opportunities to I'm from the south so when you have funerals and you have memorials you eat so I you know I fixed up a nice big spread of food baked chicken veggies beans potatoes all that kind of stuff right and we sat out by the fire pit we ate and we socialized, and there were some stories about Ranger, and there was other stories about other things, right? It's just part of that grieving process. There was tears, there was laughter. Before Ranger's passing, we spent time with him that morning celebrating. And see, with my other two dogs, and with Brooks's dog, we never get the, got the chance to do that. So with our little rat terrier, man, I mean, when she went downhill, she went down really fast. We had to get her to the vet that day. That's what happened with Brooks's lab. He went downhill really fast. There was never time to say goodbye. And with Scout, he was tragically killed in a Jeep accident. He died in my arms. This was so much better. This was so much sweeter to celebrate the life that that dog had brought into our, brought into our lives. And man, when it's time for me to go, or I have to say goodbye to a loved one, I've heard people say things like, man, I just want him to go, right? Man, having that time to celebrate with them. I, I would do that a hundred times over. Because you need that ability and you need that opportunity to accept the reality of the significance of the loss. And I think too often we downplay the significance of a relationship, whether it's a boyfriend, whether it's a spouse, a parent, a friend, somebody that you knew at work. I mean, I have felt heartbroken over people that I knew from work that I didn't really socialize with, but they may, they had a pretty significant impact on my life. But 
the real problem is when us as people who are supposed to be supporters downplay the significance of that relationship in somebody else's life. And sometimes that's completely unintentional. You know, with fur babies, you know, for, for me, my, man, my, my pups mean the world to me. But then to have someone from the outside say, that's just a dog. Man, that, that almost invalidates how important that they were. Yeah, you know what, that dog, yeah, t- take, take a dog and take your girlfriend slash boyfriend, husband, spouse, whatever, however it applies, right? Put your significant other in, a tr- in the trunk of a car. Take your dog, put them in the trunk of another car, and have somebody drive them around town for 45 minutes. Pop the trunk lid open. See who's happier to see you. Guaranteed, dog's going to want to see you. Or is at least happy to see you. Let's put it like that, because your significant other's not going to be too happy with you. They may want to see you, but they're not going to be too happy about it. A dog just brings in, brings in life, right? So... You know, again, on the basic level, when dealing with grief, you might accept the reality of the loss, but on that deeper level, you don't really accomplish that first part of grieving until you fully accept the depth of the relationship and how it's going to impact you. Never undervalue a relationship when you're dealing with death or loss. You know, as we, as we continue to talk about task one, accepting the reality of the loss, one of the other areas where we can struggle is around the acceptance of the mechanism of death. You know, a scout, it was a, it was a terrible accident. I've had friends who were suddenly taken because of cancer. And things don't make sense. Or they're murdered. Or an accident. Or a suicide. There's like a stigma. You know, it's stigmatized. Anytime you have a death that's by an overdose or by suicide. Or other types of stigmatized death. It can present challenges. To accomplishing that very first task of accepting the reality of the loss. Several years ago, I had a friend who was murdered by his wife. And there was a lot of rumors and a lot of speculation surrounding that, right? And it made it difficult to understand and to accept, not not so much to understand, but to accept that he had died at, you know, 40 some odd years old. You know, sometimes when someone goes too soon, you know, they're suddenly taken out of our life. It's, uh, or, or I had this happen recently. I had a friend of mine who died of cancer. Everybody knew that he smoked. It was stigmatized that it was, well, you know, he smoked for years. Well, it wasn't lung cancer that took him out. Okay, it was more likely it was his exposure to, to harsh chemicals and things like that that wound up taking him out. But it's hard when there's a stigmatized death that goes along with it. 
All right, task number two in the tier model. So we talked about to accept the reality as we move on to, to, uh, to the next part. And that's to experience the pain of loss. This is where we're walking through, we're, you know, we're walking through the, 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 the pain and the grief. At this point, we're going to feel sadness, fear, despair, hopelessness, loneliness, anger. That might even shift into things like guilt or blame or shame. And this was a hard one for me. I felt relief yesterday. I had to make some very difficult decisions about the life of something that was very important in my life and my daughter's life. I don't take terminating life lightly. But I got to tell you, so in the process, when the, when the vet had said that she was about 15 minutes out, I had Johnny and Brooks go back outside and just wait for her while Abby and I had some very private moments with Ranger. We're laying in our living room floor. He's on one of his many favorite blankets. And we're just laying there and we're loving on him. And we get a chance to say things in a very private moment. Now, chances are, the things we're saying, that the, the dog is hearing, wah, 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 ranger. Wah, 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 ranger. Right? I mean, because, but I think it's the tone and the emotion for the dog. But more importantly, it was for us. It was that very private time that we could spend with him. Then the vet comes in. We talk a few, for a few moments. She tells us it's okay to give him further treats or just love on him. The first shot that she administers is going to make him sleepy. takes about 8 to 10 minutes to do that. We're laying there. We're talking to the dog. We're petting the dog. I can see him starting to drift off into sleep a little bit. And at some point, I just said, hey, Abby, let's go on outside so Ranger can relax. We walked out to the backyard. I closed the drapes. Johnny, Brooks, Abby, myself just sat in a very tight circle on the patio with the, with the patio chairs. A lot of tears. After about 15 minutes, I looked back in the window and they had finished with Ranger and they had removed him and the only thing sitting in there was a blanket. I can't even begin to express the amount of relief that I was flooded with. Again, emotions are very special because the thing you're talking about is very special. I felt relief because I knew that dog was not going to have to be in pain. I felt relief because I knew that I wasn't going to have to watch him as he struggled to stand up anymore. And I also felt relief because I knew that now we had a chance to begin healing. 
what's important about experiencing the pain of loss or what's important in doing it is around acknowledging and talking about and understanding those complex emotions. Where we get into trouble is when we start to deny our feelings or when we start to avoid them. And that's what I went through with the death and loss of fellow service members who had taken their life by suicide. You see, I think I, I'm not a guy who believes that things happen for a reason. I don't think we're some puppets on a string. I don't think things are orchestrated. And I know that this goes against what a lot of people believe, and I'm fine with that. It's just my personal belief. I don't think that there are things orchestrated in life to make you go through crappy times to prepare you for other things. And if that's what you believe, that's guys, that's totally cool. That's not what I believe. I don't believe that there's a higher power that throws shit at the fan to see where it spreads to make you a better person. I don't believe there's a higher power that denies you or takes things away because you did something wrong or, there, or he's trying to prepare you for something else in life. That's, that's just not me. What I do believe is that as things happen in life, it's how you deal with it and how you apply the lessons to it. And I think animals, especially dogs, do that for us. I think with having them in our lives, it teaches, and Brooks and I had a great conversation about this. I just needed to talk to her today, so I was driving back home in the Jeep to do some work from home. And she's been, you know, she's experienced loss with her family and some situations that she's been in. And what I share with her is I think it's how we take those situations and learn from them and apply those lessons. The crappy things that happen in, in her life, I don't think were orchestrated by some higher power to prepare her for something else. I think crappy things happen and then it's how you apply what you learn and the wisdom that you got from that. In this task, you have to be willing to acknowledge and talk about it and understand those complex emotions in order to work through them. We have to be careful that we're not avoiding them, that we're not denying them, that we're minimizing them. Much of this is because society is really uncomfortable with those feelings that accompany grief. Again, going back to dogs, people don't understand. You know, there are people in this life that don't have kids and don't have family members, and their, their, their pets are part of their life, right? I think we can all agree with that. Man, if I had lost a kid, if I had lost a parent, 
I, I could get FMLA. I could be gone for the next, you know, for, for a period of grieving. I could get the day off. And I've been really fortunate. I've had bosses in the past that have been like, dude, you don't need to be here. I've had another boss who was like, dude, it's a dog. You need to get over it. Be at the office today. Even if we're not talking about an animal and we're talking about a person or a relationship, people are really uncomfortable with the feelings that accompany grief. We don't know what to say when something happens. I, just, I, I had a friend of mine just lost his, lost his dog on Thursday or Friday. I'm a huge dog advocate, right? I'm, you know, when I, when I lost a dog before, I didn't know who to turn to. I wound up turning to somebody who was in the National Brittany Rescue Association and just talking with them for hours and hours and hours. Now, fortunately, it led to the dog I have now, Trigger. But it, uh, but we don't know what to say. And honestly, so this is what happens a lot of times when we're dealing with grief. If we're the ones who are dealing with grief, you've probably had this happen. You've had, you know, some people come along, they say, you know, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll say, you know, like, Hey, I'm really sorry. Or, you know, you know, what can I do? All right. That's cool. Right. I don't want to ever get into the, you know, what my pet peeves are on things that people say that are incorrect, because I would rather that as I'm going through this, I'd rather somebody say something really stupid than to not say anything at all. But, but some of you have been through this where you've had a loss. You've lost a parent. You've lost a spouse. And what happens is you've got somebody out there that doesn't talk to you for like 10 years, 8 or 10, 5, 8, 10 years, right? Because they didn't know what to say. And they thought, well, let me kind of process through this and, and then I'll check in with them. Well, then they're embarrassed by not checking in with, with you later on. And then... Time continues to go by. They, it falls off their radar. And pretty soon, five, eight, ten years go by, and, you're, and you run into them. And hopefully, they'll at least say, hey, you know, I just don't know what to say. I mean, that's the best that can come out of that. What normally happens is they kind of carry on and just, hey, how's it going? Well, I'm doing okay. And, you know, and, and, it, ne- and it never gets an opportunity to for them to console or at least let you know that they were there and just didn't know the right thing to say. We have to be able to experience the pain of the loss. All right, step three, adjust to the new environment that is without the lost person. We have to understand that there are different roles that are impacted. The environment changes. Man, Ranger used to give like this little subtle bark that he needed to go outside in the mornings. I swear I woke up to that this morning. Then I came down the stairs. And because lately, because he's been having bowel issues, he's not upstairs where we have carpeting. Plus, he has hip issues, so he can't climb the stairs. He's been sleeping in his bed downstairs. Actually, he's been sleeping on the, the bare floor because it's cooler, sleeping over the air conditioning register. 
and I come down, came down the stairs knowing that he wasn't there, but my brain was still signaling me that he should be there. Always when I work from home, he would sit like annoyingly right under my chair, whether I was working outside or I was, I was in the office. And I, keep, I find myself, I keep looking down, or when I get ready to push back from my chair, I look expecting to see him there. So we have to be able to adjust this, to this new environment. Roles change. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about a widower, whether it's male or female, they wind up having to learn these new tasks that go along with life. Some very dear friends several years ago uh, went through this. The husband was lost to cancer. His wife really had not ever done anything around the area of finances or paying the bills, mowing the lawn, doing household maintenance. And it, I mean, it, it, she was overwhelmed. You know, living in a huge house where it was just her and trying to keep up with the maintenance and trying to keep up with the yard. And, and what happens in those situations, people jump in like the first, I don't know, two, three, four, five, six weeks. Then after a while, they kind of get this feeling of, well, you should be able to do this on your own. And that's about the point that the person, everything, you know, the dust is settling and they really start going through missing that person. But on top of that, roles have adjusted at that point. This entire readjustment happens over a very long extended period of time. And it can require external adjustments, internal adjustments, maybe spiritual adjustments. And it takes a significant period of time for us to realize all the different things that our loved ones did. responsibilities that they had. And what we find is we have to start redefining ourselves and how it goes without the other person. Finally, task four. This is where we begin to reinvest in the new reality. And this is where we have to find that enduring connection with the person in our case, the pet that is deceased while we're trying to move on with a new life. This is where we have to be careful if, if we're someone who's trying to support someone. I mean, I remember after I lost Trigger, that's okay, you'll get another dog. Well, that's the last thing that we need to say to Abby or myself is that's okay, well, we can go get another dog. That is not moving on. In fact, I, don't, I actually don't even like them that we're moving on because we still have this desire to, to maintain this connection. When I was a kid growing up in Arizona, my aunt and uncle found a koi dog. Half German Shepherd, half Coyote. There was no doubt that he was koi dog. When he walked, he loped. When we moved to Texas, as a matter of fact, the veterinarian there said, 
I'm only going to see your dog after hours. Because if the farmers around here know that I'm treating a koi dog, nobody will ever do business with me again. I had that dog for a long time. From the time I was like in the sixth grade until I went in the military and went to Germany at age 21, 22. For me, that dog was a lot like how Ranger was for Abby because he was my social connection because I didn't have friends there. I didn't have people I could rely on. It was my dog. I came home and man, my life was with my dog. But when I, what, when, when he died, and he was an older dog, but he died of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. But when he died, I was really struggling. But I had someone come along and give me one piece of advice. And they're like, you know, once a week, you need to find one word that helps to preserve positive memories with your dog. And man, that got me through some really, really tough, tough times. Again, I'm very connected to animals. I'm very connected to dogs. I mean, I'm a dog guy. I'm at a point right now, I don't, I'm not sure I ever want another dog because I, I don't like the pain that goes along with losing them. But Abby said something very special to Brooks yesterday, and she's like, you know, as much as what it hurts, I can't imagine my life without a dog. And I think now that I'm kind of going through the grieving process, I, I think that's where I'm, where I'm headed as well. Nice little wind blowing my show notes all over the place. All right, so um, I love working outside. Where I'm at right now, there's just the peaceful trickling of the water coming off the pool and that, that just it's soothing so that's why I'm choosing to be out here wind and all when it's a when when we're going through this stage of going through the process of reinvesting in that new reality We have to seek out an appropriate ongoing connection that resides in our emotional lives with the thing that we've lost. That also allows us to continue living. And I've seen people, especially spouses of service members who have taken their life by suicide. They keep living in the past. They keep questioning everything. I mean, they get stuck in all these different areas. I mean, they, they have trouble with, with the mechanism of death. They struggle with the spiritual side of the loss. And what they fail to do is to move through, not move on, but move through those stages and find a way to continue to connect. Ride for 22 has taught me a lot about understanding veteran suicide. And one of the things that they say that as long as we continue to speak about that person, they go on living. That's an appropriate ongoing connection, especially for the people who've personally felt that loss. But where we struggle is that oftentimes this 
you know, this allows for thoughts and memories. that have a meaningful engagement in things that bring pleasure. It took a while, but for, you know, af after losing, you know, after losing Scout for a very, very long time, I used an event that connected Scout and I together. I used that as a password. Until I had another loss and then uh, was, was able to, you know, to use that loss or the hope of, of what was coming out of that loss as a password. I was finding ways to meaningfully connect things that meant something to me. If somebody else ever looked at that, they would have no idea what it was. It wouldn't make sense to anybody else, but it was, it was my own little secret way of preserving that person's or, or preserving that, that dog's memory. Later on, it was a person, and an event I went through with a person that I had lost and preserving their memory because it was meaningful. It was a way to engage. It was something that brought pleasure. And this task can take a really long time. It can actually be one of the most difficult to, to accomplish. Finding ways to reinvent, you know, to find enduring connections with that deceased person, that deceased pet, that deceased relationship. And find ways to channel it into new meaning. You know, supporters, oftentimes, we don't know what to say. We get scared. We can delay. It falls off of our radar. One of the things that was said to me yesterday was, you don't have to be strong. I had a lot of crying yesterday as I was grieving. The loss of something is very special in my life. I mean, and I mean, I, I'm not talking about just tears. I'm talking about hardcore, hurtful, out loud, had to stand in the shower at one point because I was crying so hard. But when Brooks told me I didn't have to be strong, that it was okay to feel like that, that meant the world. The second thing she did, and I'm going to do a podcast on this, ministry of presence. About nine o'clock last night, I was sitting on the couch in the living room. I wasn't surfing Facebook. I wasn't really doing anything. Just kind of just sitting there and just kind of thinking about all the events of the day. And I know this podcast is going along, so just just hang with me. This is something that means a lot to me. And I'm going to ask like all six or seven of you just to hang with me for a little bit longer here. I know I'm way over what I, what I normally go on these. But this is important to me. And I think, I think it brings about something important as we all try to deal with grief. But as that ministry of presence, she came in, she said, do you want me to just sit here quietly with you? I thought I was going to cry again. It's that ministry of just being there. 
doesn't require a lot. don't have to say anything. You don't have to be academic. You don't have to be spiritual. Just sit down, be quiet, and be available. She did a lot of great things for us yesterday. As, uh, as we're preparing for as we're preparing for the for the vet to come. She went through the house, cleared out all medications, cleared out his toys, picked up his food dish, packed it all away. At one point, I had taken Ranger's collar off him, and I handed it to Brooks very subtly, so Abby wouldn't see me do it. And I'm sure there's a ton more things that she did that I just didn't notice. But it made life a lot easier. But to come in last night, sit down with me on the couch, and just be present. And I think that's where we miss the mark sometimes when we're trying to help each other through grief. Is that opportunity to just sit down and be quiet. As supporters, we have to be careful that we're not projecting what we think that what grief should look like for others. We have to let each person go and as people who do grieve, it is really difficult to grieve without support. We're social creatures. We have to find somebody to help us through that, through the grieving process. We have to find that person that we can talk to. And it's, um, you know, we don't, we don't always know, we don't always know how to support, but just being there. One of the things I found as I was grieving the tragic loss of my bird dog several years ago was I reached out to people who had shared the same loss. And that's one of the things I would recommend for people who are grievers and people who support grievers is find ways to connect with what that loss is about. As I was sitting there yesterday in the last moments of Ranger's life, reflecting back not only on his entire life and the things that he provided, but just the events of that day. Looking at him after he came up out of his dog bowl full of eggs and bacon and hash browns and seeing he had egg on the end of his nose. He had that bright eyes looking at us, coming out to the backyard and just spending time with us. I lay there and
lay there and asked him that when he did get to the other side of the Rainbow Bridge. Please say hello to the other two dogs that we had lost. That he knew. And I was scouting sport. And just picturing in my mind what that would be like. Thanks so much for taking time to listen to this. I've got air. So I'll be all right.